Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Bernie's Bums, brought to you by Cream City Central. I'm your host, Olivia. With me, I got Ryan. Ryan, we're on episode 13. How's it feel, buddy? I honestly thought we were on episode 14 today. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> are we on 13? Well, I think we are. No, <laughs> we're definitely on 13. That's a bad look. It's an awful look. As I'm typing in our podcast on Apple Podcasts right now, just to see what episode we're on. Yeah, no, we're on episode 13, Yeah, man. episode 13. I knew it the whole time. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. All right. <laughs> here we are, another week of absolutely no new news. But this week, it's somewhat exciting for MLB fans as the draft starts, I believe, on Wednesday. Um, however, it is shortened from an ungodly amount of rounds to, is it five or seven rounds now? I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even tell you how many rounds the original draft is. It's like 50-some, I want to say. That could be really wrong. It could is be very a- wrong. So people- I don't pay attention to the draft. So people love the NFL draft. They love the NBA draft. Is there a way that the MLB can make the at least the first round of their draft a little exciting? It's so hard. And, like, I don't pay much attention to the draft. And I'll take some words from Billy Bean here. It's a complete crapshoot. It's a lottery. You don't know how anybody's going to turn out. Obviously, you have guys like Mike Trout or Keston Hira where you kind of like know they're going to turn out all right. But without that, there's really nothing that much exciting. And I don't think there's much appeal to it because like in the NFL, you will most likely see those guys at least your first couple of rounds on the team for the year. Like you're not going to see these guys for three years, maybe at the shortest and up to seven years. Yeah, that's true. Could you even... I actually knew this answer, but do you know who the top, most likely number one pick for this season is going to be? No. Isn't it a pitcher? No, it's a first baseman out of Arizona State, actually. And it's Spencer Torkelson, is his name? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of the name. I, again, don't pay that much (laughs) attention because it is a crapshoot. But I think he's the only guy in this draft that we might be able to see within the next two seasons. Yeah. And I think it was interesting, though, because kind of with everything going on, there was thoughts that the Angels would punt the first round in order to save money, which I feel like, I mean, it's not true. Like, they came out and said, that's we're not doing it. But I think it kind of is an interesting strategy for this time. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I don't know. How much money are they actually saving by doing it? Well, I mean, your first round guy gets a hefty signing bonus. And if there's nobody out there who's going to be – you know, who you feel like is going to be at the major league level, like a very good player, then I don't know. Fair enough. The Angels are actually my AL team that I cheer for. That's what a random team. What the hell, dude? (laughs) Well, what team do you, what what team do you want me to cheer for from the AL? I mean, I've never really given that much thought, but I feel like the Angels is one of the most random teams you could. Well, I've always liked Mike Trout. That helps. Bandwagon. Uh, I mean, I, I was a fan of him when he was a rookie, like rookie of the year, Mike Trout. I'm not, it's not a bandwagon fan. I've followed his whole career. All right. I like Shohei Otani. I think he's really fun to watch. Bandwagon? Sure. 
if liking other players on other teams makes me an automatic bandwagon fan. Sure. No, I like I like other players on other teams, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. How am I bandwagon? Like, the Angels haven't been good in years. Yeah, but they're the team, though, that everybody talks about because of Mike Trout and because Shohei Otani. Nobody talks about Mike Trout. Okay, that's true outside of baseball, <laughs> but inside of baseball, people talk about Mike Trout. And they should, as they should. As they should, and he should be talked about outside of baseball. Honestly, I wish... I really wish I could have watched baseball, you know, from before the 1970s, because that's kind of when I stopped, like, really looking at accolades. Like, anything after 1970, I kind of consider more impressive to me. But I wish, because I'm ready to crown Mike Trout as my greatest player ever already. Um, oh, wow. There's a lot to take in from that statement. So you, <laughs> wait, so you, you think anything before 1970 is like ancient history, right? Like that's right. Am I hearing you correctly? Well, not ancient history, but like Willie Mays, for example, hit 650 home runs, but I don't know the kind of pitching that he was going after. Like, oh, I, I see. I see. Like, I've seen that Sandy Colfax, for example, through, you know, 98 miles an hour, but nobody could prove that. And that's where I kind of struggle. I see. So did I just it, did I just hear that you're a fan of tracking stats and statcast? Did I just hear that come out of your mouth? I'm a inherently. Fan, I don't know. I'm a fan of like different eras and knowing what their competition was and ranking them according. Okay, that's like fair. I think, for example, I think up until a certain point, up until just recently, say like 2010. I think hitters have always been inherently better than pitchers, like, as overall. That's an interesting take, actually. Like, because I think... For, but, like, like, how do you like, judge think, that, though? I, it's just, I, there's really no... There's no way to judge it. But I, I mean, think it's, it's just me saying that I think a hitter like Tony Gwynn or Willie Mays or Robin Yount could be better in this era than, say, a pitcher from that era. Okay, I, yeah, yeah, I see where you're coming from. Cause, or, or I guess... I mean, because, I mean, though, you could totally make the argument that pitchers are pitching, like, significantly faster than they were 20 years ago. Well, yeah, I exactly. Mean, or guys are, guys are constantly throwing out triple digits. And not even... Yeah, you don't even... Like, it's, even like it's insane. Like throwing hunchies like it's no big deal. Six years ago, you could name every 100-mile-an-hour pitcher, but now it's... Yeah, now it's so common. There's a guy like Ray Black for the Brewers in the minors who, you know, he's got a lot of potential, but still can barely sniff the majors, and he throws 101 miles an hour. Yeah, though, I speaking of him, I think he can be really good. He just needs some control a little bit, and he'll be a late inning. Yeah, me too. I think that guy, he's got some nasty stuff. He's also freaking hilarious. Um, I've met him a couple times. He's hilarious. But real quick, going back, I just think, not talking about Hall of Fame players, but just like the average hitter from, say, 1988 would be better in today's era than the average pitcher in 1988. Yeah, yeah, there is. I'm sure there is something to be said. I feel like, though, people think all the time, too, though, is like, how would a guy like Babe Ruth face against pitching these days? It's like, I don't even think, but like, I don't even think you can compare it. That one, I don't think you compare because because he played so long ago. And And that's the thing. And I I honestly don't think you compare it, but when you consider greatest of all time, that's why 
it's really hard to put Babe Ruth in that conversation just because, I mean, what he did for baseball, yes, great, but I don't know, was 7-15 just an, not an empty number, but it's a lot more impressive for a guy to hit 500 home runs now than I think it was to hit 7-15 then. No, I completely agree. Okay, good. Then we can move on. <laughs> completely agree. Anyway, I don't know where that com- I don't know where that conversation came from, but it was a good one. All right, this week we were lucky enough to chat with Max Lazar. Uh, he is a right-handed pitcher in our minor league system. Last year he pitched mostly with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, and this year he was slated to be a Carolina Mudcat, which is our high A system. When or even if the minor league baseball season ever happens. But he's a super interesting guy. I think he's full of potential. He has surprisingly high strikeout numbers for being a quote-unquote slower pitcher. Um, His pitches stick around kind of higher 80s, lower 90s. Um, So I think that's really interesting. And just an interesting delivery um, that he has, not your typical, throws very like overhand. His fastball is very overhand. So, yeah, super interesting guy. No, I – it's like you said, it's really interesting to see how his career will progress because I do think he's, he's a tall guy, 6'3", 185 pounds. I think that he will grow into his body a little bit more and kind of get that velocity up to 92, 93. But I think right now his ability to, you know, throw in the upper 80s but still strike out guys at an incredible rate is very promising because he's learning how to pitch mix up his speed and locate his other pitches or just relying on a power fastball yeah and it's interesting speaking of his fastball I was reading some scouting reports on him because I mean that's what I do in my free time and scouts have described his fastball is like invisible where like hitters can't even see it and I think again like what we're talking about for being you know you're slower than average I don't even know what average is nowadays but slower than what I would assume average would be that's a pretty impressive feat considering that it is only coming in at maybe 91 miles an hour well it just shows that perception and being a deceptive pitcher can really add to what you do I mean Josh Hader I mean yeah he throws a crazy fastball at you know 95 but a lot of hitters are quoted at saying it looks like he's throwing 105 like just the way his arm angle is in his delivery I think Max Lazar has a little bit of that in him Yeah, and I think, you know, you talked about his height. I think that is also a huge thing because I think I remember Travis Shaw talking about Kenley Jansen at one point and how with Jansen, he's obviously a very big guy himself. And you all, like, he doesn't release the ball. Like, his feet are almost, his front foot is almost on the grass when he releases the ball. So I think that's one thing, too, that Max Lazar has in his favor is some height and almost deception in that way where he steps so much forward in the mound where players aren't able to see the spin of the ball that early. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens. Uh, you think that he would start the season in high A? Yeah, I think he was even optioned there technically in Carolina, but normally players spend a max of one season down in low A, so I would assume he would just be a Carolina Mudcat. Um, and unfortunately, I wasn't a part of this interview yet again. You know, life gets in the way. But Olivia, from what I heard, conducted a great interview. And should we get right into it? Yeah, here's Max Lazar. All right. 
So if I'm correct, you spent this past off-season training in our Arizona facility, in the Brewers Arizona facility? Yes. All right. So kind of my question for you is, like, who were you working out with a lot, and what were some of the things that you were able to pick up working out down there? Um, so we there's about 10, 10 guys there for the most part, players, and um, mostly players that either were in Appleton for the season or Colorado. So some of the younger guys, and um, they had because the facilities use full, full, um, you know, all year round for rehab and that stuff. And um, with you know the whole renovation, you know, there were so many new amenities and a bigger weight room and more space, and so they invited some guys out there to work out there and um, take advantage of it. So yeah, there was I mean people from every department, you know, strength and conditioning. Um, you know, base base coaches, field coaches, and yeah, so it was just you know practice in the morning, you know workouts. They had workouts tailored to specific players, you know, specific needs, and um, as well as kitchen staff and everything. So meals for us and everything. So it was a really cool experience. Yeah, I remember when I kind of saw the blueprints of what they were going to do down there, I was like, holy crap, these players are, like, they have the whole place to themselves, basically. Yeah, I mean, compared, well, compared to the complex from, because my first year I was drafted, I went right to AZL, and it was the last year of the old complex. So I got to experience a little bit of what it was like, and it's totally, uh, totally new. So yeah. Definitely a bit of an upgrade, I can imagine. Yes, definitely. All right, and kind of looking into your pitching, kind of your delivery and release style, um, people see a lot of a little bit of Mike Fires and Tyler Thornburg. So when you were growing up, who were the pitchers that you kind of grew up emulating or watching their game, wanting to be that? Um, I mean, delivery is just comes naturally. You know, whatever, just like a batting stance, you know, it's whatever you're comfortable with, whatever works for you. So, um, and then your ability to repeat it. So, you know, if you have an awkward delivery to other people, but you can do it over and over again and uh, it works for you, then I would say just keep doing it. Um, yeah, so Mike Fires, he's actually from the same area down here in South Florida. So um, that's pretty cool that people see that in me, being from the same area and, um, you know, because I grew up knowing who he was and everything. Yeah, but, um, that's awesome. Yeah, as far as professionally, I grew up a Marlins fan, so, I mean, you know, Josh Beckett, Dontrell Willis, those were um, some uh, some of the good pitchers when I was growing up looking up to being a Marlins Absolutely. fan. Absolutely, and I was looking in a couple of your scouting reports and just kind of looking at, you know, what people are saying about you and a lot of praise for your fastball, and even though it's a little bit slower than kind of your average fastball, what about your fastball makes it so unhittable to the hitter? I mean, honestly, I don't really have an answer to that. I know it's kind of weird to say, but I just have so much confidence with it that I'm going to throw it and he's not going to hit it. So, um, you know, doing a lot of the analytics because of how baseball is moving analytically, um, they'll look at, you know, spin on the ball and spin direction and all that and release point and um all that stuff so we found with my fastball the way the way i release it i have like it's released like i have a it's released closer to home plate 
as as I could say, you know. And yeah. it's it's really over the top, really high, and the ball spins at a high rate, so it'll kind of so like rise. It looks like it's rising out of the hand, so to say. Interesting. And we we found yeah, so a lot of you'll hear a lot of times, you know, coaches will say, you know, just throw strikes. But if you can get a strike on a ball out of the strike zone, you know, a batter can swing at it. That's still a strike. And I found out I was throwing my fastball a lot high in the zone, and guys were swinging and missing at it. So I was throwing a lot high in the zone, and guys, you know, kind of like Josh Hader would get swings and misses, balls not even close. So yeah. instead of just trying to throw, you know, low and outside, where they wouldn't swing it, swing and miss at it. If I threw high and outside, I would get that swing and miss. So just kind of see the results that you get and – just keep going after that. Yeah, it's very interesting. And you talked, you touched on the analytics just then. And are you a player to really take a deep dive into those, or are you more on the field? Well, doing the uh, the off-season training, they did a lot of that, you know, once you start throwing bullpens in February. And they would have coaches that, you know, knew a lot about that stuff, you know, um, like our new – Pitching coordinator, Cam Castro, he's, you know, really, he's really knowledgeable about that stuff. And he was helping us out with that. But then at the same time, they had, you know, kind of old school pitching coaches, like you would say, who are trying to learn, you know, bridging the gap between pitching and the analytic side, like um, Jim Henderson, who was the pitching coach in Appleton with me last year, who's done a really good job of, you know, mixing best of both worlds, so to say because it's kind of new for some of the coaches as well as the players. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the balance is always heavy, like always to base it off of field, but yet there's so many resources out there. Uh, just what you hear of, like, even I know in Arizona, the Brewers have that pitching lab that is just mm-hmm. apparently this filled with technology that no one's ever seen before. Yeah, and we got to use that, actually. Um, you know, they we would have bullpen sessions in there, and I found out, uh, my curveball, which I thought was a curveball, didn't really spin like a curveball. So I kind of developed a new curveball from that. And um, as well, this my my changeup didn't really have changeup spin. So I'm throwing a splitter now instead of a changeup. So I mean, it's pretty crazy what they what they can see and figure out. And it's really just trying to make you a better pitcher and complete overall. Yeah, that's crazy. And you know, you've also been talked about being a strikeout pitcher. Has that some has that been something that you've always been a strikeout pitcher or something that's come as of recently? I mean, I don't know. I I saw I was getting results, you know, with high fastballs and I was getting strikeouts and I just kept going for it. But um I mean in high school out there pitching I was just really a fastball pitcher because I could throw strikes with it a lot. But um getting to pro ball, like my first couple of years, I didn't really have the strikeout numbers. I think, um, you know, you try not to look too in depth in your stats and everything because that you can get kind of crazy. So even if you are pitching well, you try not to pay attention to that stuff because it can k- take you out of what you're trying to do as far as just, um, you know, taking pitch by pitch. Yeah. And, you know, um, you played in Appleton last year and it's kind of interesting because I actually work at the stadium during the summer so I was really excited when we got this interview with you because, like, I always heard you um, just working there. And I'm always curious, kind of playing in Appleton, and, like, it gets cold um, up here in Wisconsin. So how does, like, is there any different, like, preparation that you have to take into account pitching in a colder climate rather than, like, 
in the Arizona League where it's obviously very warm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Appleton is a was an awesome place to play. I mean, from the fans and uh, the atmosphere there is it was really fun. Um, but yeah, it was my first time seeing snow actually. Uh, being in Wisconsin for the first time, even though even though it was over the summer, I mean April and May, it snowed a bunch, and um, yeah, so just warming up. I mean, you really got to get your blood going. I mean, I I feel like once I was in the game, you know, I was just locked in on what I had to do. But um, warming up in the bullpen, you know, making sure you get loose and um, getting your blood flow, I'd say, is pretty important. Yeah, and I have one last question for you, just so I don't take up most uh, a lot of your time. But the last question I always like to ask to the minor league players is, what has been the weirdest minor league experience that you've had? And is the minors anything like the movie Bull Durham? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's there's so many stories. But, um, I mean, Beloit, Wisconsin is unlike anything I've ever seen before. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that was a pretty – I mean, we had opening day in Beloit, Wisconsin, and it was like 25 degrees, 30 degrees, and there was like 50 people there, <laughs> and <laughs> I, and I'm sitting in the dugout, freezing, can't feel my toes or anything, but yeah, the Midwest League, I mean, the travel wasn't great, but um, I mean, those are some of the times that, you know, you, you think they're terrible, and you know, this stinks, but um. You know, it's like an experience that not many people get to experience. I mean, being in hotels with your buddies, I mean, the other teammates, you know, just messing around, hanging out. I mean, that's the best part of the game, honestly. And that's what we're missing right now, just being together as a team and hanging out. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I'd just like to thank you for coming on and talking with me a little bit. Um, I really appreciate it. Much appreciated. Yeah, no problem. I'm sure you're eager to get back to the field and restart things. Hopefully, sometimes. Yeah, soon. of course. Hopefully, I mean, we. I still don't. I know as much as you guys. You know, just paying attention to what's going on. So. Yeah, refreshing the Twitter feed every five seconds, waiting for yeah, I mean, you to come in. I don't know. It's crazy times right now. So. But Absolutely. We got um, you guys. Gonna hang in there just like us. So. Yeah, and uh, one last thing that I like to leave for everybody, is there anything that you'd like to mention, anything that you're doing that you'd like to advertise um, for our listeners? They could follow me on social media, I guess. I mean, I'm not too active because, um, I don't know, things would be taken out of context, you know, nowadays. So everybody's got to be careful what they put out there and stuff. But, um, yeah, they could follow me at my uh, Instagram and Twitter. is Max Lazar with an underscore at the end. Absolutely, man. Once again, thank you so much for talking with me. Yes, thank you. Take care. Have a good one. And we're back from the interview. Back to real time. I don't know if I like that one. Uh, We're going to keep it because I really prefer not to do it over again. Actually, let me rephrase that. I like the interview. I just don't like how you brought us back. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah. Don't get it mixed up there, Ryan. The interview was great. Great guy. Shout out uh, to him. Yeah, shout out to Max Lazar. Go follow him on Twitter. He's got an excellent name, Major Laser. Go follow yeah. him. Yeah. Um, yeah, follow him on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. What else? Just is Twitter and Instagram, yeah? <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> the so, rest is in the interview. And here we, here we go again, talking about the same subject that we've been talking about for the past four weeks. 
will there be a baseball season? You know, my answer keeps changing, man. At one point, like a week ago, I was like, yes, there's going to be baseball. And then I hit a point where it's like, I don't even see where a season can come from this. And then now I'm like, there's a decent shot. Like, this is an emotional roller coaster for everyone, and I very much don't appreciate it. Will the MLB and MLBPA ever get along? No. No. (laughs) But you said it best in our notes. It really does seem like there's been 500 different proposals. Yeah, and I think the media plays such a huge part in it because any time one of them like makes a move or like makes a decision on what they're going to do, you hear about it. It's like MLB allegedly supposed to be reporting in for a 48-game season. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, 50-50 revenue. Like you hear so much and it's like, can we just get to a point where I can see Christian Yelich and Keston Hira back on a baseball field again? Like it's all I ever wanted. Can't these owners and execs, like can't they just listen to what the players want? I mean, is it that hard? Oh, and it was interesting. I came across the tweet. Let me pull it up real quick. And it was a very interesting tweet on how the owners are going about this. It's from Mike. Axa? Axisa? A-X-I-S-A? I don't know how to pronounce his name. His last name. But Mike said, the, the, so these are some of the proposals that the owners have put in. 82 games at a sliding scale is around a 33% salary. 50 games at prorated play is around 33% salary. And 76 games at 75% prorated, prorated play pay. Good Lord is at 33% salary. So from what he found is the MLB pretty much keeps putting in the same proposals in just in different ways, which is, and I can see, because originally when they put in like the 76 games at a 75% prorated, I was like, okay, like we may be getting somewhere. And then the MLBPA was like, Mm, it's kind of a step back. And I was like, why are we saying this? Like, I think this was a step forward. And then hearing that, it's like, okay, I can see where frustration is starting to rise. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I'm reading kind of a funny tweet right now because you brought it up. And I remember I had one staved, but Matt Ellen Tuck, he tweeted back on May 27th. He says, I'm still shook that someone sent MLB a, you have $15 to make a team meme. And they said, okay, and sent that proposal to the players' union. (laughs) This whole thing is just a mess. Like, it's a disaster, and I just want to see baseball again. Like, I'm starting to get – like, I'm starting to get genuinely angry because you see see, um, organizations like you saw the NBA. They were able to figure their crap out pretty quick. And, I mean, they had an easier route to get. They don't have to figure out salaries and everything since they're resuming a season. But it's like – but it's like they were able to figure it out pretty damn quick. Like there was even no animosity. Now, you know, you see players on Twitter, Jack Flaherty has been pretty vocal. Like he's been hilarious. And I think he has every right to be saying what he's saying, but it's like, there comes a point where now the MLB just looks so bad. Like even everybody, like we're talking MLB, MLB PA. I don't care what side you're on. Like, everybody just looks awful because we can't get our crap together, and we've been trying to do this for the last month and a half. Yeah, I mean, what were they doing in March? What were they doing in April? I mean, they knew they wanted the season to come back, I believe, all the way back when this 
whole thing started. And I feel like the both sides, I'm starting to lean more towards we're not going to have a season. I just feel like both sides are not even close right now. Well, and from what, you know, players are talking about, and obviously, you know, like I said earlier, the media plays into it. It seems like the players are only really even going to consider looking at an offer if they get a full prorated salary, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. I think that is honestly a very fair way to do things is you get paid for the games that you play. But then the, like that sounds logical. It, like, and I don't know. I mean, unless, and like, this is where things get tricky too, is like, you know, the NBA, NFL, they all have salary caps. So the league, there's some communication between the teams in the league about how much each team is making so they can get an even salary cap for every team. That's just kind of how it works. But in the MLB, when there's no salary cap, nobody knows what each team is making. Nobody really knows. And so I feel like the players are having a hard time cutting back anymore because these owners, from the looks of it, I mean, they're all billionaires. They all own a baseball team. You know, it's a bad look. And I think the players at one point kind of said, like, if you show us legitimately how much money you're losing and how, like, quote, unquote, down in the dumps you are right now, then maybe we'll consider not going full prorated. But at this point, I don't know. Please excuse this interruption and very drastic change, and I'm sure audio quality. We had some issues connecting, so we have to change to a old-fashioned recorded phone call. So, um, if I remember correctly, we were just talking about the NFL having a salary cap and the owners don't have to put out any of their numbers. Nobody really knows what they're making, and I guess players like don't have a good footing to stand on. So. Your reaction to that? Yeah, it's just it it confuses me because you'll see teams like the Brewers, for example, say that they're you know they're running the team like they're running in the negatives, meaning they're not making any money. But it's just hard for me to believe that. Yeah, I mean, and, and they're not the only team that says these things. You know, and you're right. Mark Antonio came out and he got the beginning of spring training and said we had some like production loss and something. So, I I mean, that's where things can get hairy because, obviously, you know, from what we can assume, you know, we always bring this up, teams like the Yankees and the Cubs and the Dodgers, you know, stuff like this, it'll affect them. I'm sure they're losing just – I'm sure they're losing money just like any other team. But teams that are really being affected by this and teams that should be taken into consideration by the owners are teams like the Brewers or the Tampa Bay Rays or, you know, other of these, like, very small market teams that, you know, had already are getting losses during the season, much less without a season. Yeah, it just – I don't know how – I mean, I think the MLB should go to a salary cap. I think that makes it more interesting the way people can build teams. And maybe for future reference, maybe we won't have another lockout-type situation. Yeah, and I don't – you know, I feel like – you know, if there's a salary cap, obviously, then it takes out some of the strategy that I think baseball is, you know, praised upon for because you do have teams like the Brewers who make a run on a very low salary compared to, you know, the Cubs when we played in game 163. I mean, there was such a big difference in, like, how we were paying players. It was almost kind of funny. And, like, I think that's fun of it. But also, there in times like this, it does get – very weird and people don't really know how to go about it because there is such a drastic difference 
and how much money teams are making. So final guess. We'll try to keep this short because I know the audio quality isn't great. Final guess. Will there be a season? Will there be a decision by July 1st? I mean, they better, if there is going to be a season, which I think there is, it better be done by July 1st because their point that they wanted to at least start playing baseball was like July 10th or something. So, I mean, I I think there's going to be baseball. I do, I'm kind of back on where I think there is a decent chance, but if things keep getting dragged out like this, then, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're running out of time. Yeah. I mean... You know, back in May, beginning of May, it's all fun and games, trying to, you know, send each other the worst proposals possible. But now, I mean, they're running out of time. If there's going to be a season, there needs to be a decision made within the next two weeks, in my opinion. Yeah, and I would agree. And I think one last thing that I'll say about this is, you know, we're not looking – like, baseball altogether just doesn't look good right now because we're we're the only ones who haven't started the season – and we can't get our crap together, and the the NBA, the NHL are figuring stuff out. And meanwhile, we're playing we're playing phone tag essentially. And we, like you said, we're trying to give each other the worst proposal ever. Like we, it looks awful. And for a for a sport that already loses viewership and gets completely torn apart by the general public who doesn't watch it, this isn't helping them at all. No, it doesn't help generate new fans in any way possible. No, we're losing people by the minute here. It's, it's, it's like it's time to figure this out. They're losing me. Oh, not my really. God. I was going to say, who am I going to do a podcast with then? Yeah, not really, but I, I'm going to say it just for dramatic effect. All right. I respect that. Thank you. I'll title this Ryan loses interest in baseball. We'll get the clickbait going. Yeah. People get mad about clickbait. <laughs> I don't know it about works, that one. Though. It makes people money, man. That's that's my, my favorite thing when whenever I get an article posted on Bleacher Report, you know, I'll have a title that makes you want to click on the article. That's the point well, that's of a title. Point, right. And then people in the comments you'll see clickbait and yet they click on it. <laughs> I, I, yeah. It just it baffles me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like Jay Portnoy's blogger school. I don't know if you ever saw the video on that, but like he essentially told all the bloggers, he was like, if it's not funny and if it's not clickbait, like don't even bother putting the article out. Yeah, <laughs> don't like, put that I title. That. <laughs> <laughs> For real. All right, well, we're gonna wrap up um, the audio. Sorry, everybody. Um, it's storming where I'm at and. Just internet connection is tough sometimes. Yeah, so once again, make sure you go follow Max Lazar on Instagram and Twitter. Also follow us on there as well, at Bernie's Bums. And, yeah, hopefully we have good news soon and not just talking about the same thing for about the fourth week in a row. But, Ryan, you have any last thoughts? Nope, just stay safe. Go follow Max again. Thanks to him for coming on our podcast, and good luck to him, good luck to him next season. Yeah, all right. We'll see you all next week.